Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio, your one stop for creative inspiration. We have a terrific hour of ideas and tips for you today, so let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan, and we're going to talk a little whimsical stitching. I am very excited to have Joanne Sharp here because she is an artist that does incredible work, um, all kinds of artwork, but we're going to talk about her stitching type things today. Um, Joanne, this is one of the many things that you do. I'm just really excited to have you here. Thanks for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about all this fun stuff. So tell me just a little backstory. You know, what is your, um, you know, what is your art like? Explain that so people can understand. Well, I would just, the first word, kind of the only word is color. Color and movement and whimsy, of course. I I use the word whimsical a lot. It's, It's very playful. It's not so much realistic, but more expression, expressive, a lot of words, and just very playful, very fun. So were you trained as an artist? Did you do artwork as a kid? Oh, absolutely. I've, I've been an artist my entire life, and um, it, it's funny because at first glance, you might think, oh my gosh, what does this girl do? She does so many things, and <laughs> I... Again, I was an artist as a child, you know, so I thought, and so my family told me and um, just kind of went to school for art education and taught art, but it, it's just something that I think you're, I just was born to do, and mm-hmm. it's just something that I do in every area of my life. And, you know, I kind of, if you look at it, you say she does, like, too many things why doesn't she just focus on one thing but I kind of I kind of liken myself to a renaissance soul not like a conventional renaissance artist with realism and the just the painting and oils but in the temperament of like Leonardo da Vinci not to say I'm like Leonardo da Vinci but (laughs) he had had so many interests and he mastered Mm -hmm. them all like science and art and writing and and I think I live my creativity um, every day the same way. I, I, I have to try everything because I don't want to mm-hmm. miss out on any opportunity to find a new love or a new passion. I'm curious. Yeah, yeah I love that part that you don't want to miss out. You know, that's, you know, that's, I think, very key to your work um, because you explore so many different things. What I wanted to do today was talk more about, you know, what my, my quilters do. They stitch. And you have this super cool book called The Art of Whimsical Stitching. Um, and I think it's the kind of book where if people want to branch out, Joanne, and do something different than regular patchwork. You know, maybe they've seen things are like, how do I do that? I don't know how that works. I think this is the book for them. Oh, you, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what the book was meant to be. It was the book that I was looking for um, as an artist and especially mixed media. I teach a lot of mixed media and I just love going on fabric with, with, with stitching and handwork and embroidery and quilting. And 
I researched just all the materials, all the supplies that if somebody, you know, in my little art world wanted to Mm -hmm. kind of explore some stitching and quilting, they would have this book for reference. But then again, if there are the quilters, the more traditional quilter um, folk, they could also reference this book to find out, okay, what exactly do you use on the fabric for paint and dye? And, you know, what, what can, what is permanent and what doesn't wash out. And mm-hmm. so, so that's, that's how the book came to be. It was just, I, I couldn't find one specific resource. I found hundreds and hundreds of resources <laughs> on all the topics, but I just wanted to put it in one collection so that it would be just a smart reference to just, just going for it and playing and being creative. You know, the best part, too, that about what you did is that, you know, there's a lot of people who, who don't paint, they don't draw, but when they see something like what you've done, they're like, oh, I'd like to make something similar. And what you've done is given us the drawing steps, because I'm looking at the one that's the paint to stitch where it's like a big flower, and you actually show like three step outs of how you took your paints and created that flower. Um, how would somebody just new to doing that you know, take this to that level, you know, it's, it's kind of scary. Oh, absolutely. It totally is. And I'll tell you that most of the time I do teach these things to adults and it, it's harder to teach adults than kids because <laughs> they, we do have, we do have that fear as adults that it's not going to be perfect. Yeah. And yeah. You know, I, my, my big, big thing is just to embrace that imperfection. And that is totally against the grain of, you know, for example, doing, you know, staying true to a quarter inch seam and you know mm-hmm. so it, it, it's kind of blending both worlds and I do have like a deep rooted interest in absolutely both because I think that the, the structure of some more traditional quilting things are, are is good discipline for me to learn but then I also want to offer you know adults to just just play be free and I'll show you how to you know move your hand to make that petal mm-hmm. or to make that teardrop shape and if you look at some of the shapes that we paint, a lot of them are some of the free motion, you know, um, quilting uh, yes. designs. And, and, and if you take those, those things that you quilt and you mm-hmm. paint that same thing or you doodle it on a piece of paper, it's the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So instead of, instead of just going on your fabric on your quilt, you would take a paintbrush and the Dynaflow dyes that I use or the uh, paint, textile paint and paint those same movements. And then go back and quilt them. So that's kind of the gist of how, you know, I incorporate the art into the quilting. It's like you already know how to do it if you're a quilter and you quilt your patterns and your mm-hmm. motifs into, into, into a piece to quilt. Now, you do a lot with stitching in here, both machine and hand. You're Bernina Ambassador, um, and you've, you know, you're playing with all these gorgeous stitches on the machine. I'm curious, you know, when you have the paint on there, because, you know, a lot of quilters don't, you know, paint as much on their projects. Does it, does it make the fabric stiff for sewing through it? No, absolutely not. If you're using, you know, some of the, the dyes that I use or uh-huh. specific fabric mediums, which I talked mm-hmm. a little bit about that in the book, that you add to like acrylic paint or you use um, designated textile paint, it's, mm-hmm. they're very soft. And, and, you know, most of them are washable. But again, I, I'm making these, you know, these things that I create, like especially in the book, are it's wall art. It's, they're not necessarily washed. But, mm-hmm. but then again, they start, but 
like the alphabet quilts that I do with the lettering, you know, that's, that's just fused applique and those can be, you know, made for a child and washed a million times. Um, but the, as far as the paint, that's just, again, that trial and error. Most of the time I'm using them for decorative purposes, um, but a lot of it, and all you do is you just follow the manufacturer's um, guidelines mm -hmm. and directions for washing, and they're, they're perfectly fine to be functional. So I have a, a fun question. Just um, I want to get this in because I'm just curious, since you do love trying so many things, is there what's on your agenda to try next? To try now. Oh my gosh, this is funny because so here I am, whimsical, la la la, you know, oh, paint this, paint that, let yourself go. But seriously, I really, really, really want to do my painting, do my painted fabric, and then I want to go get a, a pattern for a flying goose pattern and, you know, the flying geese and, and mm -hmm. use all my painted fabric to create a, a traditional, like, quilt with some of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the historical kind of um, designs and patterns and piecing, and but use my own painted fabric. I'm dying to do that, and it's just finding the time, of course, you know, mm -hmm. to, um, you know, to paint the right palette and use mm -hmm. the right textures, you know, and then make that a functional quilt that I could, you know, give to my granddaughter or, or someone, or again, just make it... Um, just interpret the yeah. traditional that that's that's really a thing that that just fascinates me and, and I think that for me will bridge me into the gap of like the, the nowhere land that I kind of in the middle of the <laughs> art people and the quilt and the quilt people yeah I want the art yeah. people to come and, and make quilts and I want the quilt people to come make art with your quilt so that's exactly where it is I just can't wait to see that quilt it is going to be spectacular when you do it Joanne you'll have to let me know that's <laughs> I promise I'm going to do it because now I said it in public. That's right. <laughs> so I have to do it. I have to make it happen. Um, so one other thing before we wrap up, because we only have about a minute, you teach um, online classes. Uh, what, what type of online classes besides in-person classes? What do you do online? Um, well, I, again, have a lot of mainly lettering, like people are really into journaling and art lettering. So and people are always trying to kind of just improve their hand lettering. But I, I just started to um, put some of my uh, projects, like from the book, in, on, in little online classes that are maybe 10 videos online. They're on my website. Um, but one that I absolutely am loving that I have a great group gathered several hundred people that, that take this course called Paint, Stitch, Play. And I demonstrate exactly what the lesson that's in the book, but then I show it in video. I show my little Bernina and, you know, my videos are in my classes are kind of like homemade cookies. They're, they're not real <laughs> fancy, but, but they're, but they're clear and concise because, you know, I'm a teacher at heart and I always teach the class that I would want to take. So mm -hmm. the information that I provide is always, what would I want to learn from this teacher from this class? So it's called Paint, Stitch, Play. And that's, that's a class that I just really, really enjoyed. And I love seeing, um, you know, the, the work coming out of that. And there's also, I have a hand felting class and, you know, just doing things with hand stitching and just having fun. Exactly. Yeah. Super fun stuff. And people can find you and all the things you're doing at 
Joanne with an E, Sharp, S-H-A-R-P-E dot com. So uh, when you go out there, and do you have a newsletter they can sign up for? Yes, I do, right on my website. Perfect. Joanne, this has been so much fun. Oh, it was a pleasure to be here. I tell you, I could I could probably talk a lot longer about all this because it just <laughs> it just it's one of those things where I I think when you're curious and creative and something really hits that creative nerve, you you it just infuses you with a new energy and helps you to reinvent, you know, some yes. of your creative passions and your creativity. Well, thank you so much. Folks, we'll be right back after the break. Choose from more than 100 of your favorite patterns from American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilts and More, and Quilt Sampler, all available online. Buy downloadable patterns today at apqshop.com. Join the One Million Pillowcase Challenge in March for the Ultimate Pillowcase Competition. Gather a team and compete in one of two categories during the month of March to make pillowcases, earn points, and maybe be crowned the Ultimate Pillowcase Champion. The top three teams in each category will be awarded cash prizes. Even if you're not forming a team, you can watch all the action with weekly voting and daily prizes. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash pillowcase madness for more information. Quilt along with us in 2017. Join our fourth annual quilt along by stitching a wall hanging, a throw, or a one block table topper, or all three projects. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash quiltalong for a list of participating bloggers and designers and to see photos of what staff members and other readers are sewing. Share your photos on social media by using the hashtag APQQuiltalong to join the fun. Follow American Patrick and Quilting on Pinterest. To find ideas for bags, baby projects, pillowcases, storage and organization, and more, visit Pinterest.com backslash APQ Magazine to join the fun. Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan. Many of you have seen Koala Studios at your favorite quilt shows. You know, at you may have seen them uh, in your friend's uh, studio, in your favorite quilt shop. Maybe you even own them. Well, I uh, also own uh, Koala Studio Furniture, and I just thought it would be really fun to find out some of the history about how the company started. And so what do you do? You just go right to the guy that founded it. And I have Ed Moore here to give us that backstory. Hi, Ed. Hi, Pat. How are you today? I am great. This is this is fun. I'm so glad that you were able to um, break away from furniture making. I'm sure you're out there yeah. polishing it. <laughs> yeah, I do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> So you created this company. You founded it. You, what yep. made you think about developing fine, beautiful furniture for people who sew? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, your journey is kind of interesting, but my family got started in the sewing products uh, industry back in the 1940s. And mm-hmm. so I've been involved in this industry my whole life. Um, it was kind of interesting, a little history and the early 50s, actually, the Singer Sewing Machine Company was the largest furniture company in the world, not just sewing furniture, but furniture furniture company. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that, every sewing machine sold had a cabinet. Well, as time (laughs) went on, uh, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, actually, the 
a popularity of portability became popular, and people mm-hmm. began to buy sewing machines without cabinetry. Part of that was driven by the fact that a lot of this machinery had free arms and uh, they were lighter weight. They were made out of aluminum. Um, but uh, it really was inadequate. Uh, there wasn't much thought during this time to ergonomics, even even before that, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, there just seemed to be a real need to come up with a line of furniture that would not only uh, meet the needs of the individual ergonomically, but also be of a higher quality than what traditionally we saw with sewing cabinetry and uh, very fashionable as well. So we got started with that in the in the late 80s, and uh, I met a gentleman who owned a factory in Adelaide, Australia, and we began to have the furniture uh, man- manufactured there initially and imported into the United States. So that's mm-hmm. how we ended up with the name Koala. Uh, ah. But after a, after a decade, we found out that uh, people wanted a lot more, and uh, our whole uh, our whole design concept actually came from the market uh, consumers and people telling me what they liked and disliked. And uh, you know, forty years of marriage has helped me to become a good listener, and so <laughs> uh, uh, we listened well, and we changed our whole paradigm of how we did, uh, went about. Uh, making furniture and we now build it to order mm-hmm. we give a person a, a template uh, to choose from between several different widths and several different heights and several different colors and multiple accessory options and uh, that led us to building a factory in 2007 and 8 in the united states and uh and we now uh, take an order for a piece of furniture it's uh, beautifully built uh customized to the to, to the specifications of the individual and uh, usually takes between six to ten weeks to have it built and delivered into a person's home. Along the way, the Taconi Corporation actually bought Kowal in 2008. Uh, they're a third-generation family business uh, in St. Louis, and they uh, are the owners of the Baby Lock uh, sewing machine company, um, Nancy's Notions. They're a very large uh, sewing products company in the United States, and uh, they actually own the uh, the Koala company now. So where in the, can you tell us, like, are you also building these in uh, the St. Louis area where the, the baby lock our stuff fact- is? Yeah, our factory, no, our factory is actually in West Chicago, which is a oh, suburb okay. of Chicago. It's called West Chicago, and we employ 33 families there that we're proud to employ, and uh um, and they are built there, although we have marketing and sales and customer service support uh, also in St. Louis and also up in uh, Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. Okay, so that's because uh, I was I was at the facility in outside of St. Louis, and I thought, oh, you yes. know, there must be a factory somewhere else because yes. they're not building it in this office. That's <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so I'm curious. Um, I thought maybe you could just tell me a couple things in our short time here that yeah. you know about the furniture. Like, is what is one of the features everybody wants? I mean, is there one thing that sort of is the top of the list when they're looking at at your furniture that they order? You know, there are clearly uh, ten uh, distinctive design features that Koala has, and I won't go over all of them, but I'll just point to the one that's proven to be the most important, and that relates to having the studio built uh, in the right height for the individual, 
so that they can use it comfortably both while sitting and standing. A lot of what we do in sewing is more easily done standing. Um, and so um, building the furniture so that it can adjust to that individual is extremely important. And uh, we've come up with a formula of doing that that not only builds the studios up to four different heights, but with adjustable flooring. And uh, the, so a person can actually sit in front of the, the sewing machine, which is important to sit directly in front of the needle. We call that central mm -hmm. position sewing. Uh, but you have to, the driver that determines how your body uh, is positioned in front of the machines is determined by your line of sight. And as you move your head an inch, any direction, up, down, left, or right, that creates a whole train reaction through your body. And so we want to do provide uh, within our furniture variables that allow, allow you to get comfortable as your shoulders and your neck load up with the weight of gravity as you bend <laughs> into so. Um, how, can, how can we help you to be more mm -hmm. comfortable? And I think it's just really important to appreciate that the majority of our customers are dealing with aging issues. And mm -hmm. so as we deal with those issues, those variables need to change. So our furniture has been designed that you can sit at it differently today, uh, three years from now, than you do today, and uh, still accommodate uh, the, the individual needs of the person. That's what I love most, being able to yeah. actually customize everything and working with your staff. Um, when somebody orders, you know, often they'll order at a show or they'll order at at um, their their local shop. But do you have like one person then that follows the order through or is it like teams of people? Yeah, there's teams of people. We have actually mm -hmm. uh, six, 650 retail outlets uh, of dealerships that sell the product. And um, and then, you know, it's popular today to attend uh, a quilt show or sewing event and uh, and then, you know, uh, dealers represent the product there as well. But when the order is placed, uh, it's quite a quite a system that it goes into uh, um, and uh, the order is placed. We we then uh, have several people entering the orders. We then have people that call and confirm the details of the orders to make sure both the consumer and the dealer have ordered it correctly before it goes into the production queue. And then once it goes into the production queue, it's always there's always a lineup of furniture there. It doesn't take eight weeks to six to eight weeks to build it. But um, mm -hmm. once it gets once it gets into the queue, it runs through the factory in about two days. Um, mm -hmm. And then it's packaged and shipped and we deliver them through a, a, a white glove delivery service throughout the, throughout the country. Yeah, it's it really is fascinating to um, realize like how many people are involved in in this. Yeah. You know, I have one one last question because yeah. um, we don't have we have only another little bit left. But I'm curious: okay. is, has the furniture been put in someplace really different? You know, like do you have like a cruise ship outlined with your furniture? I think that'd be cool. You know, whole sewing sure, cruise. There's, <laughs> I've seen some. I've seen some beautiful studios around. Uh, from Hawaii to Kona to I was one one of our original orders actually came with eight pieces to Kona. I know of a lady that has a daylight basement that that is so beautifully organized. I think she has about ten different pieces. But I've seen them in the back of RVs. Um, mm. I've had one had one customer on the delivery had a spiral staircase she wanted it in a loft. She actually had she paid for the studio to be completely unassembled and reassembled up in her loft. 
Um, oh, wow. So it's, and we're actually, I was working on just before you called, uh, we're uh, shipping a, a studio to a lady uh, in Israel uh, that uh, had ordered one, and today's the day that it's leaving, and we were just making sure some of the documentation was done correctly. Right. Yeah, it is. I've seen the studios. You have Eleanor Burns and Nancy Zeman and Jenny Doan Studios online so that people can look yeah. there. Um, yeah. And you have a cool function for being able to try things out, like an interactive yeah. build-your-own studio. So, Ed, this has been really great. Um, oh, you know, thank you. When when people want to find the information the most quickly, mykoalastudio.com is the best place to go, right? You can go there. We uh, we also uh, it's called the Sewing and Craft Club dot com, uh, which is a, a company owned website that features all the koala products as well. Um, but either of those will get you there. Okay, and then and uh, if, the next time people are in a shop or a um, yeah, you know, show, they can try them out. Okay, so you know what yep. I love best about mine? What? <laughs> I I like the, the, lift. the remote control lift. The yes, remote control the lift, lift. for yeah. the sewing machine, so that yeah. I can put it flat when I want yeah. to use the whole big table. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. the The lift is a very important part of the studio, especially as the machines have gotten bigger and heavier, and embroidery modules and and our lift has been beautifully designed. It requires uh, the direct drive rack and pinion system. It's as solid as a rock. Our R and D department uh, wanted to do repeated cycles to get to the height of Mount Everest, and I stopped them when they got to the height <laughs> of Mount Denali. Um, and it, it comes with a lifetime warranty, and it's beautifully designed. Well, I love mine, Ed, and I appreciate you coming on today and giving us a little history of the company. Uh, well, thank you for the opportunity, Pat, and enjoy your, your koala studio. Thanks. This is American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan, and we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to do a whole segment. The rest of the second half of the show, we're going to talk about barn quilts and the barn quilt trail. Because everybody, when they travel, sees these. And I have got a great guest on where we are going to sort of dive into a little bit about the history and um, find out about them. Be right back. Boost your sewing skills from start to finish with daily tips from the editors of American Patchwork and Quilting. Visit tips.allpeoplequilt.com for inspiration. This quilting tip brought to you by Moda Fabrics. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest fabric collections. Three-ring binders are the perfect storage method for fabric panels. Simply fold each panel into a page protector and insert into the binder. They're easy to view and keep the panels easily accessible. Get two full years of American Patchwork and Quilting delivered right to your door for the price of one. That's a full year free. Every issue is packed with never-before-seen projects from top designers, detailed photography, complete materials lists, and easy-to-use pull-out patterns and quilting diagrams. Subscribe today at allpeoplequilt.com.
Take an ultimate shop hop tour of 11 top quilt shops. You'll find them all in the current issue of Quilt Sampler. Available now at your local quilt shop or on newsstands. Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. Uh, I'm sure you've seen a barn quilt. You may have a barn quilt. And I just think there's a massive fascination for this whole project. And I'm so excited to have Susie Perrin here, who has written a book. And we're going to just talk about barn quilts in general and talk about her book. Uh, Susie, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You know, I am. I just love your book. You... Um, this is not your first book. This one is your second book. Your first one was called Barn Quilts in the American Trail um, Movement. And this one is called Following the Barn Quilt Trail. Um, but, you know, Susie, let, us, let me get a little backstory. Um, what, how long have you been quilting? Actually, sadly enough, I didn't start quilting until I was about 40. Um, my great-grandmother was a prolific quilter, and my maternal grandmother was, and you know, I just never learned from either one of them or even thought to. And then here I was, 40 years old in graduate school, and a group of us uh, women got together and said, you know what, we need to do something for stress relief. And we took up quilting as a group, about 10 of us. And that's when that's, I finally learned to quilt. That's fun. Do you keep up with those ladies? Um, some of them I do. Some of them, as a yeah. matter of fact, as I've traveled the country, you know, of course, we've all dispersed, and we've uh, had some really fun reunions along the way. Neat, neat, neat. So you, um, did you, you know, you talk about in your book sort of um, a, a trip that you took where you stopped and encountered, you know, a barn quilt, but had you seen them before that? When was the first time you saw one and just thought, wow? That that really was the first one. Um, oh, I lived okay. in the Atlanta area and, you know, they just don't obviously have them in the city. <laughs> and, and there aren't that many in Georgia. Yeah. So, so it was literally, I was driving in Kentucky, and it was it was this wow moment. Yeah. So when you saw it, you actually stopped and went to find out. But you're, you're a writer, so, you know, you're always curious, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, there's a story behind everything, and, and not even just being a writer, but just someone who loves stories and, and who's, mm -hmm. you know, read a lot. Just always, okay, what's the story here? So did you actually know what you were looking at at that point? Had you already been quilting? I had been quilting, so I knew it was this flying geese um, quilt, very vibrant colors, bright pink and blue on this yellow background. So I knew it was a quilt, but I just had no idea why it was on a barn. <laughs> and um, you know, the woman who lived there you know, came out, and next thing you know, she was calling people in the area, do you know who else has a barn quilt, and writing down addresses. And it was just this amazing start to what has turned into an entire life. You know, you went on to your trip that you were traveling on. Um, did it stick in your mind then, or is this um, writing and learning more about barn quilts? Did that happen later? You know, it kind of happened later. I mean, it would be great mm -hmm. to say, you know, I just I drove all over to Yellowstone thinking barn quilt, barn quilt. <laughs> but, but I'll be honest with you, I was camping in a tent with a dog all the way to Yellowstone mm -hmm. and back. And there was a whole lot of where are we going to set up and where are we going to sleep going on. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I guess when we got finally got back and got rested, then it was, okay, now what about that quilt I saw? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so did you take did you take good pictures when you saw it so that you could, you know, triggered your mind when you went through pictures? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I had these pictures of my trip. 
And, um, you know, one of the first places we had stopped was in Kentucky. So that was at the beginning of my picture. So it was always something, you know, that I would go back and kind of look at as I was thinking about it. So tell me just real briefly the difference between the two books. You know, what's in the first one? Just give me a little brief on that. Sure. Well, the first one obviously talks about me. It literally talks about me and my dog out talking to farmers and visiting with folks. But a lot of it also talks about how this cool trail got started in Ohio with Donna Sue Groves and how it mm-hmm. spread from there. So it's a lot of the personal stories, but it kind of gives you a little history of how we went from 20 barn quilts in Ohio to thousands of them. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the second one... book kind of takes up. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, just for people who don't realize, um, there were actually, it was started by a, a specific project that then just grew. Oh, absolutely. You know, a lot of people yeah. think that barn quilts have been around for a long time, but we're talking 2001 when this started. Um, and a woman, Donna Sue Groves, who wanted to honor her mom, who was a quilter, by painting mm-hmm. a barn quilt. And next thing you know, she thought, you know, we could do this as a community project. Mm-hmm. And then the next community saw it and thought, hey, we could, this is something we could do. And it's just grown exponentially from there. So after you wrote the first book, did you start... Um... giving talks and you know did you do more with it or was that just sort of standalone and then you kind of went on to your regular work well I went back I was teaching high school English so I went Mm. back to teaching English I was proud of myself I had a cover of my book up on the wall and I just thought okay you know we did that yeah but people kept contacting me you know wait a minute you know we just started a quilt trail we didn't get into your book and and at the same time people were contacting me would you come talk to us about barn quilts so it was just kind of this amazing, you know, set of things that came together that finally said, okay, you know what? we got to head back out and do a second book. Ah, so that's just, you know, sort of supply and demand. People were like, you know, we want more. We want in your book. That's like. Exactly. <laughs> right. And we talked about adding to it, but then when we thought about how much there was to add, it was like, oh, wow, that's a whole other book. <laughs> right. And they're not small books. I mean, they're. They have a lot of detail in them. Um, I'm just seeing, like, this one's like, well, 278 pages when you go all the way through the index that you have and everything. Mm. So they're they're nice, and they've got gorgeous photos. Um, oh, thank you. So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, barn quilts themselves first before we talk about the book. Would that be okay, Susie? Of course. Yeah, because I think people may not quite get what they are sometimes you know often I think in the beginning I used to think that they were all just actually painted right onto the wall but are there are there many really done like that you know initially that that was kind of the concept is you know we'll have an artist come they'll paint this quilt on the barn and they quickly realized that it was really a difficult task and you know (laughs) if it rained you weren't going to end up end up with a painting yeah. <laughs> so the idea came about, you know what, we've got these sheets of plywood you can go and get, and they're four by eight feet, and you can get inside the barn or the garage or whatever and, you know, lay them on a table or saw horses and paint. Now the problem comes in, you got to get that thing up on the barn, but it's still an easier way to do it. And that's how most of them are done. Yeah, they're they're actually, I actually am getting one that somebody's making for me, um, a smaller one for my house, because I am in an urban area, and we don't have a barn, that's so, right. <laughs> I'm not sure where it's going to go yet, maybe by my front door or something like that. Um, now, the 
sizes. You know, barns are, you know, big and like I travel all the time and, you know, they're on, you know, I can see them for quite a distance. You know, so what size are they usually? They're eight by eight feet. The ones that you'll see on a barn is two sheets of plywood side by side. So it's going to be an eight by eight foot square. Okay, that's not what I'm getting. Mine will be much smaller. <laughs> yeah, yours will probably be a two-by-two two or a three-by-three, three, but then again, you could have more than one. Yes. Oh, there. There there you go. You put one by um, the door. You could put one out back. You just don't yeah. know. <laughs> so do you, um, you know, do you think that people, like, search these out? Like, are there still people who, like, run the trail, like, looking to see how many they can find? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's like a treasure hunt. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there are these wonderful maps that you can get, you know, every time you go to a new county that has one, you can get their map either, you know, they hand them out or you can download it online. And, and people just love you traveling and taking photos. And I don't think as many people actually stop and, and talk to the farmers, mm-hmm. um, but people love just getting out and taking the photos. People, people on motorcycles, I get pictures of people all the time, took this from the back of my bike. Oh. And that's kind of fun. <laughs> So, uh, is there a place where those um, trails are listed? Like one spot? Yeah, I do have. I have a map on my uh, website, Barn Quilt Info, that um, okay. is kind of neat. You can click on the map of the U.S. and then you click on any state, and then it comes up with a map, and you can it, has, it highlights all of the areas where they have them, and then that takes you to, to each one of them. Now, what I find funny, Susie, is that sometimes when we're driving, we see them, you know, and they've obviously a couple of the ones we've been seeing, I think, for like, you know, a very many, many years. But they're not real quilt blocks. They're other, you know, they're like somebody painted it who didn't really wasn't a quilter. Do you see that very much? Sure. You know, and, and sometimes you know, you get that. Well, now, is that a barn quilt? But. You know, if it could possibly be quilted, which most things could, then what mm-hmm. the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Shout yeah. out to the, the woman who started the quilt trail. She always says, you know, we're not the barn quilt police. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's one place that we go by that has, they're, they're like a piece um, tree, you know, like the triangle with the little stem underneath. But then its construction into the block is, uh, you know, unique. Um, and I'm always uh-huh. like, I, and I and I always forget to take a picture of it because it comes up really quick. Like we come around the corner. I have to put on my map sometime, like tag it so that the next time yeah. when it's coming, I can think about it. Um, yeah, so you, so do you, I can't ask you if you have a favorite one because that wouldn't be fair. So, um, but I'd love to ask you that. <laughs> Probably your own. Well, you do know, you have one? Um, well, we don't have one because, you know, we live in an RV. So um, we do have a little quilted flag, you know, those little garden flags that people have. And it's crossed kayaks. Most people call it crossed canoes, but we call it crossed kayaks because we kayak. And wherever we park, we stake that out in front of the RV, and that's my barn quilt, by golly. I think you could put one on your RV. It'd just have to be smaller. (laughs) You'd have to (laughs) – you could work on that. Actually, actually, my husband wants one, and I've said no. (laughs) <laughs> Which is the opposite of what you would think. I know. Okay, it's like that's off limits. We've got to have some space between work and life, right? Um, it's kind of like that, yeah. Yeah. So tell me how you – we have like maybe about three minutes until we'll take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about what's in the book. Uh, how did you mm-hmm. – 
decide to RV full time? Well, it kind of was born of necessity in a way. Um, when I start got ready to both write the second book and start traveling and and talking to people about barn quilts, it was just a tremendous task. Um, you know, to travel that far. We're talking going to California and Canada and all these places. And funny enough, at this same time, I met the gentleman who's now my husband, Glenn. And it was actually his idea. He said, you know what? We could get this old bus that's an RV, and we could travel in that. And that way, you know, you wouldn't have to be gone all the time. And, you know, we could visit with people and travel to meet these people, but at the same time, you know, be able to come home every night. Mm-hmm. And and do and do you do this together then? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's been three and a half years, and we still live in our RV. And, um <laughs> You know, it might not be for everybody, but it works for us. Oh, yeah. There's so many people. I bet you've met more people who quilt just in the parks. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've met women who had big quilting studios in their RV and, you know, laid it all out and had all kinds of, had their stash here and yon. And, and you'd be surprised yeah. what people can do. They can do an <laughs> RV if they want to. Yeah, I was just talking to um, Ed Moore, who started the Koala Studios, and he said that they have outfitted with their furniture uh, RVs. So uh, I'd like to see that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, you could cool. be kind of fun. Um, so when when you're traveling, are you are you also sew in the RV? Um, not that much, because to be honest with you, I'm really busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I actually piece and quilt by hand. Mm-hmm. So I'm, okay. you know, I'm that kind of that throwback gal. So it doesn't take <laughs> a lot of room for me to do my quilting. <laughs> no, that's really cool. All right, Susie, what we're going to do is we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, I want to talk about, um, you know, what's in the book, following the barn quilt trail and, you know, maybe some adventures you had for this. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay, we'll be right back, folks, uh, after this break, and you can be sure to um, check out barnquiltinfo.com, where you have the interactive map that's going to be able to show you where everything is, and uh, then you also have uh, the other site, which is americanquilttrail.blogspot.com, and there's a whole lot more information over on that one. We'll be right back. Looking for fresh, simple, and fun projects and ideas? Check out the current issue of Quilts and More magazine at your local quilt shop or on newsstands. Join American Patchwork and Quilting on Facebook for daily quilting inspiration, tips, giveaways, and more. Find us at facebook.com backslash APQ magazine. This quilting tip brought to you by Moda Fabrics. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest fabric collections. An empty toilet paper roll makes it easy to store prepared binding. When you're ready to use, simply slip the roll onto the cone thread holder on your sewing machine to unroll your binding easily. See what other quilters are up to on the American Patchwork and Quilting page on Facebook. Simply go to facebook.com and search for APQ Magazine.
welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan, and I'm talking to Susie Perrin, who is the author of Following the Barn Quilt Trail. So, Susie, what is the structure of this book? You know, how is it set up? Well, it kind of, um, it actually follows us along the Barn Quilt Trail. Um, the, the title is sort of, has two meanings. First, following the initial book, and then it's the story of us following the Barn Quilt Trail. Um, you know, we start off in Georgia in that bus that we were talking about and follow the quilt trail to Kentucky, up through Indiana, um, across Canada. So it both talks about the people and the barn quilts and their stories, but also the story of these two people living in a bus. And, and, and you know, it talks a lot about what that's like and what that's all about. When when you're meeting people and you're asking about their, their barn quilt, do you find there's like a percentage that are actually quilters or percentage, you know, that aren't, you know, how's that balance out? Actually, most of the people are not quilters. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the barn quilts do have a connection to a quilt. Like maybe it was Mm -hmm. grandma's quilt or a quilt someone was given for a particular reason. But by and large, the barn quilt uh, makers and the barn owners are not quilters. Are they painting them themselves? When you ask them, you know, what, do they just do it themselves, or do they have somebody? Um, usually there's a community organization. So it might be the ah. Arts Council. It might be the local 4-H club who will say, you know what, we're going to do this barn quilt trail. And then they kind of put the word out that, hey, if you want one of these, you know, get in touch with us. And it may be that there's a fee, you know, to pay for the materials. You know, it just depends on you know, how they've worked that out. But usually there's a group doing it. But, yeah, sometimes the family themselves will do it as well. I noticed a couple of them. It looks like they just did the whole quilt. There was one with applique. It's like a wig rose, and it had the, the patchwork, you know, inner border and the applique outer border. I mean, it's like not even just one block. Do you see, like, whole quilts like that very often? Um, that's kind of the exception, you know, because normally it's just the one block, so you have mm-hmm. kind of that impact from a distance. Mm-hmm. But I do like, I mean, I've seen Grandmother's Flower Garden where they did, you know, it looks like an entire quilt, and it's just so gorgeous. But you have to, you do have to get closer to those for it to really, you know, to appreciate it. No, oh, that's true. That's true. The more detail, you're not going to see it from the highway as you're driving by, like I usually see them. <laughs> that's like my right, main right. way. Now, when you were doing this, were there any times, like any, you know, do you have like a fun story that you can share about either people you met or the experience of finding a particular quilt? Well, I, I, I always, when I do my presentations, I always say I could do an entire presentation about stupid things I did on the quilt trail. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I remember one time there was this farm in Iowa, and there was a beautiful cornfield in front of the barn, and I thought, you know, if I could get down on my knees in front of that barn, and I could get a beautiful shot up through that corn, so I got down on my knees, and, and the field was fertilized just the day before, mm. and I got to tell you, those pants did not make it home. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, fields. Oh, my goodness. Do you have a particular story that's um, one that sticks with you personally that, you know, you kind of mull that over a lot? Um, you know, there, there are so many of them that are good stories in different ways. I guess mm-hmm. maybe the my favorite all-time bar quilt story is the one in Nebraska where a woman found a friendship quilt, you know, with the embroidered signatures. Mm. And she tried to figure out who it belonged to. She got it at the Southern Estate Sale. She tried to figure out who it belonged to and through one of the names traced it to a 100-year-old woman out in California who was one of the quilters. Wow. And she actually flew from Nebraska out to California and met this 
hundred-year-old woman who was one of the quilters and formed a bond with her and then, you know, subsequently went home and had that quilt painted on her barn to honor the quilter. And that was just that, an amazing story of these two people coming together. Yeah, that is neat. I, that's amazing. She flew out there. Did she – Did I wonder what the woman thought when she arrived. It's like, yeah, well, let's well, stitch she that. Had, she had asked her. She said, you know, I haven't mm-hmm. seen that quilt in – in 60-some years, because mm. the quilt was made in the 30s, in the 1930s. Mm. And she said, you know, I would just like to see my name and see that quilt. And, you know, now most people might put the quilt in the box and send it out there with return postage included, but, right. but this woman said, you know, no, I'm going to go out there and, and do this for you and, and take this quilt to you. So do you have a particular quilt, a barn quilt uh, block that you that's more unusual? Like if people were going to be looking, you know, they definitely need to see this one. Maybe it's location or what it actually is or its size. Well, I'll tell you, well, there are some in Louisiana. They have the the North Shore Quilt Trail there. And the artist there, she does some amazing quilt blocks. And she kind of incorporates, they're very modern. They're not maybe what you often would think of. But she incorporates all different things. I mean, there's one that's on a church and incorporates a stained glass pattern. And... You know, the one for the pharmacy has the little mortar and pestle incorporated. And it's really fascinating because you drive around and think, okay, what in the world will that one have included? You know, and then you get up close and try to piece it all out. You know, okay, now what is all that? And that's a lot of fun to see those. There was a town, I'm just trying to remember the name because, of course, I did not look it up in advance. Um, but a little town where Mary's, I think it's Marysville, Ohio, or... Where they, where an artist went and she painted barn quilts on a lot of the buildings on Main Street and to, and there's a quilt shop there. So mm-hmm. that, that was, that's not, I don't think an official trail or anything, but do you find that in some, in communities where just sort of the community is doing it just in like their downtown? Oh, absolutely. I mean, some of the neatest ones are little walking trails where you can kind of go around and see them on the different shops. It's not the same as driving the countryside and seeing these grand barns, um, mm-hmm. you know, with these quilt blocks and seeing them from a distance pop up at you. But it's just kind of another aspect of, of the quilt trail. And, and, you know, it's great that people who live in an area where they don't have barns can still say, okay, we're doing this. Yeah. If you go to Texas to see the quilt trail, you're not going to see a lot of barns either, but they have some, some really neat ones. I hadn't thought about that. There's not a lot of barns in Texas. Not in some parts of Texas. Or, you know, you'll see horse barns, but not not the big barns that we think of, mm. like in the Midwest. and mm-hmm. Even in California, and they have they have beautiful barns, but not as many in Texas. How about when you went to Canada? Do they have a – is there similar to what we're doing here? Because the quilters are pretty similar. Yeah, very similar. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things they are doing there a lot of times is celebrating some of their history. So mm. you'll find things that – they're a nod to some of the folks who came over and settled the area. And they also have um, what we would call Native American, they call First Nations. They have a First Nations mm-hmm. quilt trail. And all of the women um, in the um, First Nations communities got together and painted barn quilts with their um, iconography. And it's, those are really, really interesting to see. Oh, that would be neat. You know, more unique or, you know, well, history for the local area. Um, yeah. So you also lecture, and uh, you do some teaching. What do you teach? 
Well, I, you know, I'd lecture about the barn quilts and share mm-hmm. the stories, similar in vein to the book. But then I teach these really fun workshops where each person actually paints a small barn quilt. Yay! So <laughs> one that they might put, like you were talking about, you know, you might put it yeah. on your porch or on your deck. Or, yeah. Um, it's a two foot by two foot, and everybody actually paints a barn quilt in a four hour period. Wow. That oh goodness! So do you bring in um, the supplies, or you know, how does that work? I do. As a matter of fact, right before we started talking, I was outside at a picnic table priming boards. So a <laughs> workshop um, coming up on Friday. So uh, uh, the glamorous life I lead. But yeah, I show up with the boards all primed, and I've got containers of paint and little cups to mix the paint in, and brushes, and um, you know, everybody just—they're always amazed that you know it's like. Here's the workshop, and it's all on one table. Right. <laughs> and they're able to come in, and you know, they think it's going to be this huge, all, all this massive stuff. It's like, nope, it's all right here. And, oh, that. Uh, we just have a blast. That is fun because it makes it easy for everybody. Um, a little bit more work for you, but it's. Um, I can see that being a super cool. Now, how do they? How do they hire you to do this, Susie? Well, typically the guild will have a program person who's responsible for bringing people in. And they'll contact me by email or by phone. And, um, you know, we look at when I'm going to be in their area. And, you know, mm-hmm. I try to make it okay. I'm going to be, you know, within 100 miles of you. Let's make it this date. Mm-hmm. And um, and we work out of time. And I have some guilds I go back to and do just a second workshop. Because, you know, people see what other people, everyone else did and said, wait a minute. I want to do that. <laughs> so we set up a second workshop for those gals. And they can, they can contact you through barnquiltinfo.com. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's got a contact uh, link on there for me and my schedule, well, we have... so they can kind of look and see when I'll be, you know, kind of nearby. Oh, okay, that's really useful. Yeah. So I want to know, like, one little, like, how is it working out for the RV now that you've been doing it for a while? We have, you know, about done here, but I thought it'd be fun to hear, you know, what's the the best thing about doing that? I guess the best thing about it is that you know that I am home every night and. You know, I'm able to cook dinner and, and just have a normal life rather than, you know, always being on the road and always being in an airport. You know, mm-hmm. I can, you know, I mean, I went out today to a farmer's market and got local asparagus and blanched it and put it in the freezer. So, you know, I can still be kind of a homebody, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we travel all year long, and, and that's really neat. So what is one of your challenges uh, for RVing full-time? Um. You know, I mean, we do have two of us working in a very small space, and my husband does work full-time. Everyone thinks he's my driver, but he actually (laughs) does work full-time. And, um, you know, so you're just trying to keep the dog quiet while he's in a meeting, and right now he's keeping the dog quiet while I'm talking to you. (laughs) You know, and, you know, and just sometimes, you know, if we get to an RV park and it's like, oh, my gosh, we don't have good Internet here. We have to move. But, you know, there are some logistics that, that are always coming into play. I love that part about the internet. I know it's like I'll be because we travel, but we're not full time in an RV. We you know we drive, and the internet part it can be so disruptive, particularly if you have no other option. Um, right. Ugh. And you talk about that in this book. You know, you give stories a bit about your life together on the road. Um, oh yeah. Was that fun? Was that yeah, fun but, to write? You, you know, it was it was fun and challenging. Because there were some things that were heartbreaking. I mean, we had this bus that we bought that was going to be this amazing adventure, and ultimately it just died a horrible death. Uh, oh, and gosh. it was really hard to go, oh, my, but this is this is Ruby. This is our bus. And, 
you know, and, and to do that. And, but, um, you know, we've only been together about five years, and I think we're probably a lot stronger for, uh, for having lived in an RV together for most of that time. That's you know, close quarters, like you said. There's uh, not always a ton of room. Uh, do you RV like up north in the winter? Oh heck no! <laughs> <laughs> oh good, you're a smart woman. We're, <laughs> we're, we're in Michigan now, and it's still chilly for this southern girl. I had the heat on last night. <laughs> I know yeah, my second. Oh, we, I wouldn't want to do hookups like and everything. <laughs> yeah, we like we like Florida or Arizona in the winter. Um, yeah, I'm not ashamed yeah. of that. I did schedule us for April in Minnesota the first year we were traveling, and I will never live it down because oh. we had eight inches of snow. Oh, yeah. It's still winter in April up there, I think. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> well, Susie, this has been so much fun. I've enjoyed it. We, I could I could talk about darn quilts for, for days, but uh, I appreciate you having me on and uh, and just, just to share what, a little bit that we have been able to. Well, the book is fabulous. You did a great job. Um, everybody can visit Susie out at barnquiltinfo.com, and maybe she can come visit your group. Thank you. Thanks so much. This is American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan. We're brought to you by Moda Fabrics. So you can go out to uh, the Moda Bake Shop and see what kind of new projects are out there. There's always something fun. You can visit allpeoplequilt.com. Also check out Facebook page where there's super cool questions all the time. And visit me, patsloan.com. You can find all the links to all the fun stuff I'm doing. Uh, And we will see you next time on American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. Remember to visit allpeoplequilt.com for more information on topics from today's show, as well as how-to videos, free printable patterns, and additional tips and techniques. Thanks for listening.